Welcome to Blog the Blog Talk, Talk Radio. Radio. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Daniel Leach, and this is the Anti-Illuminati Party. Tonight we're going to be joined by Vin Howard Bazil. We are going to be talking about the Friday Night Frackdown. Um, I'm going to introduce you to Vin. I'll have him do a little bit of history on himself, and I just want to welcome everybody to the program. Thank you very much for joining us. Good evening, Vin. Are you there? Yeah, good Good evening. Uh, um, we're coming up to the end of the of the day, but uh, it's still Friday night, and uh, they're still fracking somewhere in, uh, I'm guessing, somewhere in North Dakota and uh, probably uh, all 49 other states. I, I would I would think so. Absolutely. I don't I don't see anything stopping them right now. Definitely. I mean, there's a little bit of a slowdown in the oil industry, but uh, that doesn't stop the big oil people from trying to make money, uh, especially when the oil's sitting around 60-some dollars a barrel right now. Um, they're still making money, even if it's at around $20 a barrel. But um, right now, in Williston, it's a little bit slow, but... Um, you know that it, it, it's hurting the little guy, but uh, the the big oil tycoons, I'm sure they uh, they still have money in the bank, and they're just holding off, just waiting for the the oil prices to range back up to a hundred or more dollars before they really start punching holes in the ground. You know. So, anyways, Vin, I want you to introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, and what got you interested in the oil field industry. Okay. Well, I, uh, we, you know, talked about it before. My uh, interest was not so much from the oil, but uh, back in 1991 when I was working for the California Department of Corrections, um, the same time that uh, there was um, a guy by the name of Ivan Browning, as uh, first name is spelled I B E N, Ivan Browning was a climatologist that had lectured in uh, Louisiana, and one of the geothermal engineers or worked at the boiler plant there at the prison where I worked, he was uh, attending these lectures and had come back uh, and talked to a friend of mine that was a plumbing supervisor that uh, we, you know, would talk back and forth about different things and and uh, we got to talking about uh, predicting earthquakes and, and uh um, Ivan Browning had uh, made some pretty strong predictions in ni- 1990. Um, around August of 1990, September of 1990, he was predicting that there would be major movements uh, along the New Madrid fault zone, which extends, uh, of course, from the Great Lakes, um, possibly Yellowstone, um, to the Gulf of Mexico. That it was uh, an area that was particularly, uh, um, cat- 
you know, cataclysmic uh, earthquakes, 1811, 1812. There was a series of earthquakes along that fault zone, and I had the enough curiosity to to call one of the articles. I poured through different journals until I found out that he was uh, staying with his daughter in New Mexico and called up uh, information and asked uh, um, for, I believe, for his name and uh, and was able to reach him at his daughter's house and spoke to him on the phone about uh, his earthquake predictions. And so when when uh, he was satisfied that I wasn't uh, a news reporter, that I told him where I worked and that there was some of us who were interested and, and one of us that had been to hear the lectures that he'd given on, on how you could use climate. Uh, his predictor is the high tides, which uh, anybody that's ever read the Farmer's Almanac will notice that each month, there's uh, a couple days that have uh, um, a high tide uh, um, for the entire month and uh, a couple times a year, either during the summer or the winter, is when uh, there will be a peak in uh, the uh, tide activity. And, and he said that, you know, according to his model, that it was the uh, magma that was pushing on the bottom of the plates that was compressing uh, um, water and, uh, you know, and pushing up on the uh, bottom of the plates, uh, much like uh, if you put, uh, um, you know, something in your... Uh, in your sink that caused, uh, um, say, the, the liquid to uh, um, turn into, um, you know, that type of uh, foam that that you spray it in as a, um, like, a foam and then it turns into a solid? Okay. And so gotcha. you can picture what happens when you start moving the plates around because uh, the material underneath it is either turning into a liquid or a solid, and so it's it's causing a phase change within the uh, the structure. And as we, we were talking about uh, last time, that 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 you and I were talking, Daniel, on on last week's show on your other network, and uh, um, if I remember, it was the oil. Business Network is the name of your other radio network that we opened this discussion um, was the last week or the week before on uh, using this title Friday Night Frackdown and this, this discussion is designed to draw in some so-called experts you know, to challenge the industry to become accountable for some of the things that they 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 play with, and that um, 
I, you know, right before the show started, Daniel, I, I, uh, I looked up uh, nitroglycerin and natural gas, the two terms uh, side by side, and uh, it yielded um, some of the earlier material that I'd seen about a year ago about nitroglycerin being used uh, for hydraulic fracturing. And uh, um, we're now looking at a uh, actually a court case over the claim that the guy was uh, you know, stealing the um, water, destroying his neighbor's wells, and the risk of using nitroglycerin, um, which uh, for the pound weight that showed 340 pounds, it said that that would uh, you know cause an explosion that would take out every living thing within 500 yards uh, from the center of the explosion. And so, anyway, these these are forces that uh, um, in talking to Ivan Browning, he wasn't just concerned about the New Madrid. He was concerned about uh, the San Francisco Bay Area uh, or the uh, Asian uh, Pacific. Uh, Pacific Islands, um, including Japan and the Philippines. And so I had that discussion with them probably around November of 1990. And uh, the events that he predicted for early December that year didn't take place in December. They took place on the summer solstice uh, in, in June of 1991, so six months after the fact. Um, massive... Uh, eruption in the Philippines that went on for for more than a week, uh, about 10, 10 uh, to 14 days. But there had been an uh, uptick of volcanic activity in Japan, which is exactly what uh, this Dr. Browning was predicting. That, uh, um, when a group of us at the prison began to uh, look at the events in the Philippines. We knew that some, you know, talking to some of the guys that worked there in the military uh, at the Air Force Base, that uh, there was some question in our mind as whether or not that was a, you know, natural, spontaneous event. The mountain had been closed up for... Um, over 500 years, uh, um, I don't have the dates in front of me, but if you look at Mount Pinatubo, um, you can see that that uh, mountain had been dormant, uh, not even, you know, not even smoking, not not even, uh, you know, hissing of steam. And, uh, um, you know, so for it to have gone you know, completely, uh, you know, live action, sending steam and ash, uh, um, debris from under the island to a height of, uh, at that time we thought it was, uh, 100 kilometers. Um, and we later found out, uh, three years later, in fact, uh, because none of the science journals, uh, challenged the notion that it was, you know, they said 100 kilometers. We found out three years later that it was 100 miles, which is considerably beyond the uh, envelope of which things, you know, blasted out to, to that elevation. 
uh, if they maintain the, the you know the natural order of fluid dynamics, then that uh, um, that vapor turns you know back into a solid uh, at about forty-five thousand foot um, elevation. Uh, it's now you know the temperature drops to seventy degrees below zero, and everything you know that's been vaporized uh, in a volcano. Um, would uh, turn back into a solid uh, um, and continue to push uh, um, that solid matter um, out into space. And uh, so, I mean, that's another field of investigation. But this this is what got me initially interested in terms like liquefaction and, uh, um, you know, having lived in Northern California prior to what was called the Loma Prieta quake, which uh, um, started uh, during, you know, right at the end of the national anthem, uh, you know, during the World Series in October of 1989. Um, it flattened uh, um, much of that, uh, you know, region. Um, you know, several freeways were pancaked, uh, um, you know, crushing cars and, and about 60 people died in that event. And I heard now, the term liquefaction on the news. And, that was during uh, the I went Giants to the public World Series game. Look it up. That was during the Giants World Series game, correct? Yes, uh, Giants and uh, uh, was it the um, was it the Oakland A's? I, I forget who they were playing, but anyway, yeah, was, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it was the Oakland A's. But see, those are the types of things that, uh, to the, you know, these days we regard as suspicious is uh, with all the cameras trained on, you know, on a sporting event uh, such as the Super Bowl, um, you know, in the area of predictive programming, since we're talking about uh, the, uh, you know, what they call the naughty um you know, um, club uh, of, uh, um, you know, the uh, um, enlightened, uh, um, you know, um, corporate uh, um, or global planners, uh, is that some of this stuff probably find fascinating to to watch uh, things blow up. Especially if if it involves uh, um, massive uh, geological forces that, um, and and this is why anything related to hydraulic fracturing needs to be uh, weighed against uh, the possible risks. Um, use of nitroglycerin. Uh, this um, case, court case, I found from 1849 was uh, about using nitroglycerin within the city limits. And it was one thing if it was used down hole, which it would, you know, not only rip up their neighbor's wells, which allows uh, water, oil, and gas to flow into your well, and then all of a sudden oil becomes more valuable than water and, uh, and natural gas if they can isolate it. Um, but it... Uh, you know, led to a uh, uh, oil and gas boom. And what people have to realize is the the oil and gas sit uh, in the water. The oil sits on top of the water. 
And as we were talking about last week, Daniel, the uh, um, growing body of evidence that points to the coal uh, dust uh, being liquefied uh, by water flooding, which turns uh, the coal deposits into uh, oil and gas, um, which, of course, uh, involves um, you know, large... You know, massive amounts of water and force and pressure, um, and you know, we talked about the one of the the uh, um, the possible benefits of this would be to uh, um, allow seawater to uh, to flood the coal fields. Uh, making, you know, the use of coal obsolete, uh, I mean, at least you don't have to send, you know, people into the ground, you know, underground to, to dig out the coal. And if you can add, uh, you know, ocean water, then you essentially have an unlimited supply of water to uh, to flush through the coal fields. And after you use it up the methane, now you've got an abundance of water. So that's one of the problems that the industry ran into in California is that they would hit these saltwater geysers out there west of Bakersfield and they would have, you know, a gas blowout. And after the gas would uh, would be flushed out, then they would have all this salt water. So that, that would uh, lead to a whole lot of discussions about, you know, why the salt water was, uh, you know, flooding you know, from underground and 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 whether or not uh as it runs uh um, you know high volumes of water running across uh, an alkaline desert, um now you've got a way to uh, recharge the aquifers uh using seawater, recharge uh these um uh, depleted uh um you know desert um catch basins that are also affected by the use of hydraulic fracturing, uh, destroying the aquifers because they release the uh, um, not only all the chemicals, but they're they're perforating the sides of the aquifers, uh, allowing the uh, all the water to drain drain out uh, to a uh, you know lower level. And now, did you see that uh, information that that was posted last week about uh, uh, what's called primary water? I I don't believe I had a chance to actually check that out um, last week. Um, I'm not even sure if I got that post. Uh, I'm definitely interested in checking it out. Um, did you post that on my wall? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and um, you know just kind of summarize it right now, but I'll 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 put it where you can find it, um, post it to uh, um, your uh, um, to our chat, and uh, um, but primarywater.org, um, primary water is what uh, is trapped underneath the uh, the uh, capstone that they call the the shale deposits. Um, form as a capstone 
And so if if you can picture you know um the way that sediments uh, lay down where you've got sand and salts uh um they're compressed together, you know, form um into you know limestone or sand sandstone. And so these become locked in, in these shale deposits. And so when you start drilling into that, um, now you're you're uh, in, injecting chemicals that can you know break up the you know that uh, rock, um, liquefy the rock, liquefy the salts. Um, the uh, primary water is uh, um, apparently a larger body of water than than all the water in our oceans, and it's uh, it's you know, uh, essentially locked away underneath the the uh, shale rock. So we're getting more and more evidence, Daniel, that they're going after water, but they're using oil and gas uh, as a way to subsidize the uh, um, the global quest for uh, for new water sources. Um, with or without the oil and gas, we can isolate using the you know the, the concrete. Uh, um, you know, barrier structures, we can isolate to extract oil or water, um, what they call the, you know, the, the zones. And so you picture that there's a layer of sand and there's, you know, the rock, sand, water, gas, and oil, and then another layer of rock, Sand, water, gas, and oil. What the industry itself calls pays, P-A-Y. You know, um, because they, if by going horizontal or you know slant drilling, directional drilling, they can go down through all these layers and then isolate for whatever they want, whether it's oil or water or gas or mineral salts, all of which are valuable to different. Uh, you know, different vendors, different sure. producers. Now, I got a question for you because we're on the topic of water. Where do you suppose the Nestle Corporation comes into this at all? The the the, the best documentary I saw on the privatization of water um, is called uh, Flow F L O W FlowTheFilm dot org. Um, I actually saw it when I was in um, county jail um, in Bakersfield, California, um, right after I'd written a letter to the governor um, saying, Mr. Schwarzenegger, tear down this dam. Because we began to realize that the rivers were, were still a viable you know, life, uh, you know, force. I, I didn't know that there was anything left to the rivers uh, after they had been filtered um, or, you know, stopped, uh, maintained by seven dams along the Colorado River. It, uh, the, the, the river doesn't reach Mexico, but it is kind of runs out uh, down there in the Arizona desert. Um, 
you know, before it reaches the Gulf of, you know, of uh, what they call the Gulf of California, the, the uh, um, go, go, let's go back to your question for a minute. Uh, well, we're talking about water, and uh, the Nestle Corporation is trying to uh, take and privatize water so that your public citizen has to pay for um, all water and is restricted to corporations. Uh, they're trying to say that uh, water is not a human right, and it's kind of like saying breathing air is not a human right, you know. Um, so that that was basically, you know, when we're talking about the water and the oil field and the corporations, Somehow, somewhere, they all tie in together, and I know it's through the lobbyists in Washington, D.C., and uh, so I just wanted you to know your thought on that, but uh, anyways, we have about 10 minutes or so with the show, but what really interests me is what you were talking about was the predictions of uh, earthquakes from the drilling. Now... You've been following this for quite a while, um, so you might have some ideas of what might possibly happen in the future, and I was just wondering if you know, you can give our audience some kind of idea of what you think might be happening in the near future uh, with making a couple of predictions possibly on uh, earthquakes, tsunamis, tidal waves, stuff like that that you believe might be caused because of the drilling. Uh, recently, I've seen that there have been some articles that have been put out about the possibilities of uh, drilling causing earthquakes. Obviously, we're having all these earthquakes down in Oklahoma, and they're saying that this has to do with uh, the the drilling, the fracking drilling. And, uh, you know, I've been up here in North Dakota for six months, and I, I haven't experienced anything uh, with any kind of uh, earthquake. So I just uh, I guess myself, uh, I'd be more interested in, in learning a little more about that subject. Well, the, the relationship between uh, earthquakes and uh, uh, hydraulic fracturing um, was established in, you know, around 1963-64, by uh, USGS uh, was attempting to pump uh, um, large volumes of wastewater up in Colorado Rockies. They believe uh, uh, it's near Colorado Springs, but uh, they had started pumping large volumes of water, and all of a sudden they started having you know serious earthquakes. Well, see, to me, the premise of earthquakes as being um, Simply the movement of the plates is uh, is is pretty ludicrous. Uh, I see the um, introduction of water, which includes oxygen, which changes the explosive limit. You know, um, and uh, um, the term "blevy" um, it's firefighter terminology. Uh, um, uh, B L E V E stands for boiling liquid expansion vapor explosion 
Like if you take a high-power rifle to uh, um, your your neighbor's uh, uh, propane tank, and so as that uh, um, liquid uh, natural gas depressurizes, you know it's coming out as a vapor, but it's it's coming out with great you know great enough force to where um, you know it can uh, cause an explosion. Um, based on the amount of air that's uh, pushing its way into that uh, um, that fuel mix. And so it's really not a lot diff- more different than pushing a piston inside of an internal combustion engine. And, you know, so when they drill into the side of a mountain or, you know, um, and I take, for example, Yellowstone because people know about the caldera at Yellowstone. And when they start drilling into these calderas, um, you know, for example, Yellowstone, you know, they didn't drill, you know, next to Yellowstone until uh, just in the last, um, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, when they started drilling, for oil, they started drilling in Pennsylvania and uh, in Texas and eventually California. And then by the uh, 1990s, 1980s, 1990s, they were drilling, you know, right up there in Wyoming um, on all sides of uh, um, the uh, the caldera. So they. They've gotten, you know, bolder in their, you know, attack, as it were. Um, because, like I say, if this is a vapor explosion, then it's simply, you know, a steam explosion is what causes, you know, earthquake. Uh, um, and some of it is caused by fracturing the, the shallow, um, you know, um, quake activity, uh, you know, below say, you know, 10 miles uh, deep, um, which we're seeing a lot of right now. But, you you know, like I mentioned before, Dan, you can type in offshore pretty much anywhere in the world, and there's somebody out there that's leased a section of land because, I mean, the governments get a lot of revenue from uh, the drilling activity. And uh, we found, with one example, where... They were taking ore out of uh, the coastline of Madagascar. Uh, it was destroying the mangrove uh, plantations. Uh, um, you know, mangroves are one of those plants that grow in, in seawater. But they were tearing up the, you know, the coastline, and they were shipping this stuff uh, raw tonnage. They might pay um, $100 uh, a ton in uh, taxes. But this stuff contains, uh, um, you know, rare earth uh, minerals um, that uh, the people don't know anything about. Uh, in some cases, the government doesn't seem to care that uh, all of these minerals are being extracted through the, the, the you know, mining as uh, or drilling as a mining, you know, industrial mining activity. Of, of core drilling to find out what's 30,000 feet underneath uh, um, these uh, salt uh, 
mines, you know, salt uh, um, caverns, like that one that we were talking about before. I sent you the link uh, that describes the Lake Pinure disaster in 1980. Right. Yeah, I remember that. So now, do you do you see any uh, upcoming possible uh, seismic activity? Due to uh, drilling, any anywhere in the near future, as far as making any uh, predictions like that other gentleman that you were following earlier, um, do you see anything happening possibly in the near future? Well, the guy who's doing a lot of that uh, actively right now is uh, is uh, um, a young man named Dutch. And I'll just spell the the second part uh, of you know it's uh, um, two syllables, but the S I N S E that goes after the word Dutch. And uh, I don't know if you've been following um, um, uh, this guy uh, Michael um, is a well known um, you know storm uh, um, you know observer. And and he's he's traced uh, um, microwave activity, um, you know, to earthquakes as well as fracking activity to earthquakes. Uh, you can zoom in with Google Earth and find the fracking uh, operations, um, you know, near these uh, um, shallow quake. Uh, most all the shallow quake activity is related to hydraulic fracturing. Either onshore or offshore, and uh, and there's abundant evidence to prove it. And at some point, the, those who engage in this activity will be held accountable by the, you know the people who survive uh, you know um, you know and live to uh, um, you know to write about it. Um, it uh, used to be considered a crime. You know, to blow up your neighbor's uh, you know property, or to uh, poison their wells, and sure. uh, and and I think that we can use RICO, which is racketeering corruption laws, to go after those who are are using this with uh, intent to destroy, um, you know, people's uh, you know water and you know and. Uh, you know their lands, their property, their houses, cities um, are are at risk because. Uh, well, I'll just give one last example, and that is Guadalajara um, in 1992 um, gas explosion. That's all you have to do to find it um, is know how to spell Guadalajara. But they uh, they can smell the methane sewer smell. Um, you know, is usually from the sulfur. The uh, you know, with 12 to 24 hours before um, about 20 blocks of uh, of the city of Guadalajara was ripped apart by a massive gas explosion, which I am fairly confident that when they do a thorough investigation, um, they'll find out that that was hydraulic fracturing uh, um the people thought that somebody had dumped gasoline into the sewers because that, hey. that was the effect. Okay. 
um, of the explosion. Our show, our show is about to end. We probably have about 30 seconds left, so I want to uh, thank you for joining us on the program today. Um, we'll definitely have to pick this up uh, another time and a date uh, in the near future. Um, we'll definitely uh, talk more about the details on this, but I don't want uh, you to be cut off by the program ending abruptly. So I'm going to end the show now before it uh, decides to hang up on us. And I uh, just want to thank our audience for tuning in this evening. I hope they enjoyed the show. And uh, do you have any last words then? I just uh, keep uh, looking for experts on this subject. That's important to, to get this out where the public can find it. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, we'll continue doing that. If anybody uh, has anybody that they believe is an expert on the subjects, uh, definitely have them tune in and uh, contact us as soon as they can. And uh, anyways, I wanted to just say thank you again to the audience for tuning in. And uh, God bless and uh, have a good weekend, everybody. And we'll see you in the chat rooms. Good night. Thanks, Dan. All right, Ben. Have a good night.